Comics Revolution. Episode 3, The Power of an Idea, The Human Genome Project. Welcome back to Genomics Revolution. I am Brad Goodner. While genetics as a scientific discipline did not need DNA sequences to get started, it certainly progressed at a much faster clip once one could see what genes actually look like and how genes change due to different mutations. We discussed the Maxim Gilbert chemical and Sanger enzymatic methods for sequencing DNA strands in our last episode. Their impact was so immediate that Gilbert and Sanger shared one half of a Nobel Prize just a few short years later. The other half of that particular Nobel Prize went to Paul Berg, who led efforts in the early 1970s to develop the methods that we now call recombinant DNA technology, or DNA cloning. These techniques involve cutting DNA sequences at specific sites using bacterial enzymes called restriction endonucleases. Restriction is a medical term for cutting and endonucleases are enzymes that cut nucleic acids, in this case the double-stranded DNA, within the molecule as opposed to at a free end. For example, the restriction endonuclease called BAMH1 always cuts a DNA sequence on the top strand where it reads, running 5' prime to 3' prime from left to right, GGATCC. Notice that the complementary strand of DNA also reads 5' to 3' GGATCC, but running from right to left as opposed to left to right. Such sequences that read the same on the two anti-parallel complementary strands are called palindromic sequences. By cutting DNA molecules with different restriction endonucleases, and figuring out the sizes of the resulting DNA fragments, scientists could come up with physical maps of a DNA molecule. While they didn't know from this data alone the complete sequence of the DNA molecule, it was a starting point based on some of the sequence information. By analogy, it was like knowing the layouts of the streets in a town without knowing every house on every street. In addition to enzymes that cut DNA, Recombinant DNA cloning also involved enzymes that could sew DNA fragments back together. The medical term for sewing back up is ligation, and these enzymes are called DNA ligases. This growing physical mapping information about DNA molecules and the initial efforts to sequence fairly small pieces of DNA strands were building on a much older history of genetic maps in different model genetic organisms, such as fruit flies, Baker's slash Brewer's yeast, and maize. By following the inheritance of different mutations through crosses, geneticists could start to arrange mutations and the genes they were in along linear maps of chromosomes. Through these efforts, they figured out that the number of genetic maps in a given organism usually equaled the number of different kinds of chromosomes in that organism. In bacteria such as E. coli that lack sexual reproduction, Geneticists came up with modifications to their genetic mapping strategies. In most bacteria, the genetic map formed a circle, which later matched the true circular nature of their single chromosome. These genetic maps were cruder than the physical maps in terms of scale, putting towns in spatial reference to each other rather than individual streets and houses. 
But genetic maps had a real advantage over physical maps. They were linked to traits, measurable phenotypes seen in an organism. All of these tools, old and new, were in the hands of geneticists and other scientists interested in DNA by the year 1980. Over the next 15 years, advances in recombinant DNA technology and DNA sequencing, along with sociological changes in the way that scientists and governments approach scientific challenges, brought forth the Human Genome Project. Here are some of those changes. One, scientists came up with ways to use restriction endonucleases to physically map the human genome. By 1995, the physical map had over 15,000 markers on it. The genetic map had 400 map traits by 1987. Two, scientists came up with ways to handle and clone into plasmids bigger and bigger chunks of DNA. They moved from a few thousand base pairs up to over a hundred thousand base pairs. Three, Kerry Mullis and colleagues at Cetus Corporation developed a strategy for using DNA polymerase to replicate user-defined short stretches of DNA over and over and over again to amplify the amount of the user-defined sequence. Their strategy, called polymerase chain reaction, or PCR, made it easy to obtain workable amounts of specific DNA sequences from a tiny amount of starting material. Four, scientists both at universities and connected to business interest made Sanger replication-based DNA sequencing into an automated technology. DNA sequencing became more of a standardized service that universities and research institutions provided to their researchers than an individual lab art form. Five, big-name scientists wrote opinion pieces in the top scientific journals, making a case for an all-out effort to sequence the human genome. Discussions about such an effort took place at several research conferences. Six, in the U.S., the National Institutes of Health, NIH for short, and the Department of Energy, DOE for short, independently started plans for sequencing the human genome. NIH makes sense given its mandate to promote human health, but DOE had two good reasons as well. Its government charge is to safeguard and promote energy supplies in the U.S. of all types. One of those energy supplies, nuclear power, has clear safety concerns when it comes to exposure to nuclear radiation and subsequent DNA damage. DOE wanted to better understand the impact of radiation on the human genome. But they had a longer-term energy interest as well, bioenergy in the form of organic carbon polymers stored in algae, crops, and trees.